this day, we will begin looking at litigation in the church. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll be looking at the first 11 verses um, is our context, but we will actually just probably look at verses 1 and part of 2 maybe. Okay? Let's read this and ask the Lord to teach us. Beginning verse 1, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians through verse 11. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare go to dare go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to constitute the smallest law court? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So, if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say this to your shame. It is so that there is not among you one wise who will be able to decide between his brethren. But brother goes to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. Actually then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your own brethren. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Father, we praise you for your word. And Lord, I ask that at this time you would teach us. Father, you would open our eyes to your principles, to your understandings, to your ways, to your wisdom. And Father, we that be your children would understand the position that we are in as children of the King. And yet, Lord, um, let us set aside man's vain philosophies and man's vain wisdom and embrace the things above. And Father, cherish them and let them be that breath that we just sang about. Father, it is to your glory, it is to your praise, in Christ's name, amen. This is an amazing book. Um, the more that I spend time in it and the more that I become more and more aware, aware of what is going on, because I need to take you back because um, of what he's dealing with is litigation, um, lawsuits, court. Uh, appeals and things like this and um, how far we have fallen. But I want to take you back to chapter 1 verse 10 because up to verse 10, up through the first 9, he's kind of encouraging to the church in Corinth. But in verse 10 he says, I exhort you brethren by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree and that there are no divisions among you, but that you are made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. All right, and then he just rolls, and he has continued to roll on what he is dealing with. He has dealt with bringing your wisdom, your human philosophy, your experiences of life, uh, the things perhaps the, the, the family you grew up with, the influence of your parents, your grandparents, uh, per, perhaps in our society today, your political affiliations, you're, you're trying to understand, and, and all this stuff that you deal with on a daily basis that just bombards you constantly with information and techniques and styles and mannerisms. And he says, you can't take that stuff and add it to Scripture and get a pure Scripture. It's impossible. 
And that is the foundation to what he's dealing with in the church in Corinth. But now he moves into something that is amazing because it has to do with lawsuits, litigations, suing other people. All right? Let's be realistic. This is the norm in America. Let me ask you something. How many times can you turn the news on and not hear of a litigation happening? It's impossible. It is flat out impossible. If it ain't Michael Jackson, it's that Peterson guy. If it isn't that, the courts are thinking about suing somebody, or this has happened, or this has happened. You, it's all you are in. We are so much like the Greek-Roman culture that this letter was written that it's almost scary. And yet, that is what you are... I mean, we've got uh, court TV. Does anybody watch that? If, if, if you sit around and watch court TV, you need to go get arrested, okay? And get, go through the system once so you enjoy the pure joy of it. And then it'll break you from wasting that much time watching a trial, okay? And I, I say that because as I looked at this and then as I looked at what was going on in the church in Corinth historically and what the laws were that were around them, um, we need to pay attention. This letter is a, written as a problem solver. And I mean, and it literally just goes through problem after problem after problem after problem after problem. Um, man's wisdom, philosophy, dividing over teachers, immorality, lawsuits is what we're starting into. All of them do one thing and one thing only. They cause division. And in that division, who gets the glory? Satan, the father of lies, gets the glory. Why? Because the body of Christ is supposed to be absolutely unified. All we are supposed to do is maintain that unity. Okay? You also have to understand there's another fruit that comes up when man starts asserting his, his, his wisdom and his, uh, his understanding to stuff, when he starts bringing the ways of the world into the church. In chapter 4, verse 19, he says, you have become arrogant. There's a pride factor that shows up, a boasting. You've seen it in chapter 5, verse 2. All right? You see it again here in this text, except it's not used in the same phrasing. Verse 8 of chapter 6 says this, On contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. They're doing it. Why? I want more. So, he's literally saying you're robbing each other. It isn't bad enough that you're taking your problems to court. But when you're getting there, you're trying to rob people. Let's be realistic. If you're driving, you pull out of the drive through um, McDonald's and you spill your coffee on you and it burns you, how much is that worth? Dry cleaning bill, another cup of coffee. I didn't know coffee could cost $100 million. Why would we want to do that? To defraud. I don't care what anybody says. I want free money. A lot of the litigation that I see that is in our courts right now is purely greed. How much money can I get out of this? And, I, and when I think about Paul's writing here, I, 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 what has been said... You have a community of Christians who are fighting among each other and they are asking non-Christians to be the arbitrator, the referee in this fight. Listen, the church never claims to be perfect. Okay? But we don't, or we shouldn't, publicize our imperfections okay and if you're bringing litigation then you have a problem because now you're publicizing it and i want to show you this because you need to understand bringing in 
your legal, legal, legalese or whatever you want to call it. We do that today. There's not a person in here who doesn't do it. You look at what are your legal options in what? In all things. We, we, set up, we have an insurance industries that, that thrives off of legal obligations. Okay? If somebody falls on your property, how much does that cost? I mean, let's say they fall and do some damage, that break something. How much should it cost? Medical bills. Which I think is fine. They fell. Perhaps you had something that caused them to hurt themselves. Get them fixed. But why do you never see it for medical expenses? I was talking to a pastor one time. He was talking about he had just gotten married. And they were leaving um, uh, from the reception. And they pulled up to a stoplight. And a Trailways bus came up behind him. He was driving this uh, little car. It was sort of a new, it was new for them, but it was used. A little car. And this Trailways bus brakes went out and rammed him in the rear end. Okay? But it was in city, so it wasn't one of these cataclysmic events. But, I mean, it wrinkled up the, and knocked out the back glass and wrinkled up the, 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 the bumper. Okay? They went on with their honeymoon and they came back and there was a, a, a knock at the door and it was the legal team for Trailways Bus. And they want, the first words out of their mouth was, we are not going to give you money. And so they went through all of this process on, you know, you can sue us and we need the medical records. We want to know if you were hospitalized. We want to know about your neck problems and all the rest of it. And it was funny because he says, I don't have any. And he says, well, what? He says, listen, I got a buddy who does mechanic work. And he says, for about $200 to $250, I can get it fixed. And the guy says, you're kidding. He said, no. He says, to put the glass in and to fix the bumper is going to cost about $250. And this guy fell over. This is a lawyer representing Trailways buses that a bus had neglect to it that caused it to have a a mechanical failure, and in the mechanical failure, they rear-ended somebody. Who's at fault? Trailways. All right? And I should own Trailways. You should give me a bus a year. Right? The lawyer said, I tell you what, I'll give you $350. And the guy shared Christ with him. Why? What was the guy's obsession? Christ. Christ. It wasn't the broken car. It wasn't the trailways bus. It wasn't what money can I get. You know, if I get like three million, I could have a great ministry. Really? No. But what do we do? Let me give you some historical background, and I think you'll find this interesting. Um, I could not find stuff on Corinth because Corinth was completely obliterated, but Athens was intact, all right? And there are legal references. And here's what I mean by bringing your understanding into your walk with Christ, okay? The church in Corinth is under this kind of instruction and understanding in their uh, uh, their daily goings. They will be dealing with this. Okay, first and foremost, remember this, Jews very rarely ever went to public court for anything. Okay, Jews very rarely ever went to public court for anything. If you had 11 Jewish men in any community, you could have a synagogue, and that was their court. If I had a problem, it was taken to the synagogue, and the synagogue took care of it. Right? They were never taken to a pagan court system. Uh, it was unheard of. Um, for more myriad of reasons. One is they wanted to show the world unity. The other was their love for the other Jews. Okay? They also thought this, and this is a very abstract, I mean, who would have ever thought of this? But they had this thinking of the Word of God had all the answers to all the problems of their life. And everything could be resolved through the Word of God. What a archaic thought that is okay but that's what they believed 
They believed that the family problems were dealt with in the Word of God. They believed that social problems were dealt with in the Word of God. Cultural problems, economic problems were dealt with in the Word of God. Interesting thought, isn't it? Why would they go to a pagan court? Not only that, rabbinical teaching says to take, a, take our problems to a pagan court isn't the same as blaspheming God. For it is, in effect, saying God doesn't have the answers to this problem, unquote. Sounds pretty good to me. And, 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 and we struggle in our life with this. We, 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 don't, we want to get and protect and, and all the rest of it. Have you ever thought about how much time and energy and investment you put into protecting that that you own? You ever thought about that? I'll just let you think about that one. I don't want to think about it. But it's interesting in that in the Roman and the Greek world, they accommodated the Jewish attitude. Whatever the Jewish synagogue would rule on, the Greek or Roman court would say, fine. And they actually gave them the right to decide their own cases. Remember this, in the case of Jesus, who decided? Except for, the, for in cases of execution. And they had to have Roman consent to, do, to execute. Okay? The Romans and Greeks were very, very tolerant of local judicial preference. Okay, uh, the Romans more so, so. The Romans actually saw that Christianity was just a form, a sect of Judaism. And therefore, they just figured that you guys is kind of like the Jews. You would take care of your own litigation. Whatever legal problem showed up, you'd take care of it. And so they allowed the Christians the same rights that they had allowed the Jews. Okay? Um, so... Paul basically comes from a, a, a starting point of the culture and says, you got no reason to go to a pagan court. There's no reason whatsoever. To the, it's, a, it's silly. It's a waste of good legal fees. Okay? The problem is, is the motive. You see it in our courts today. If I don't get the ruling I want, what do I do? You appeal it. You appeal it, you appeal it, and you appeal it until what? I get the ruling that I want. If you rule against me in a court, I can appeal it to a higher court. I can take it up to a state supreme court. Then I can move it into federal district court and I can run it through federal district court to the supreme court maybe if they're willing to hear it. But we will continue to do that. Every verdict that you see handed down, what happens? What is the lawyers that all, they'll all say the same? We are going to appeal it. Same thing was happening in Corinth. Okay, let me show you some of the, the system of litigation. Um, they had, I, I need to explain this to you because <clears throat> litigation was such a part of their life um, that it had literally become the chief entertainment. Okay, i.e. court TV. All right, why? Suits and legal problems were without ceasing. It is a product of a democratic society. Okay? Socrates, speaking of democracy, now ours is not a democracy. We all understand that? All right? We're a representative republic. Does everybody got that? You know, everybody know? If you don't know the difference, you should have stayed awake in your government class in high school. I learned that in high school. All right? But anyway, um, Greek government was a democracy okay a plural vote on everything all right whoever had the majority that's the cat all right so so once you get that res resolved socrates statement about is that democracy cannot exist i find that interesting you know why he said it couldn't resist because at some point, each individual will demand his own rights and the product will only be anarchy. Fascinating concept, don't you think? 
historians um, stated on in Athens and, and Greece that everyone in the cities were lawyers. Okay, and I thought, well, that's, that's kind of interesting. So let me give you the step process if you got in trouble in a pagan court in Greece at the time of the Corinthian church. First of all, you had what was step one, private arbitration. Okay, a neutral third party would come and try to resolve it in private between the two people who were mad at each other for whatever reason. Okay? You brought, and it had to be a neutral third party, somebody that neither person knew. I want you to take the evidence on both sides. I want you to resolve this. Okay? If that didn't work, they moved to step two, which is called a 40. Okay? In that process, the courts appointed an arbitrator. Okay? Now it's public. Okay, the court system says this person will come between the two of you. Here's some interesting stuff about that. Everyone 60 years old for the duration of their 60th year became a 40 arbitrator. Your 60th year of life, you spent that year arbitrating legal problems between people in the lands of Greece. Okay? Um, you served, it was a public arbitrator, um, and if you couldn't settle it privately, it went public. Okay? If that didn't happen, if, the, if this 40 couldn't solve the problem, it went to a jury trial. Okay? A jury trial, if you had a small case, had to have 201 people in the jury. Okay? This is democracy. This is not a representative republic. All right? That was small cases. If you had a large case, anywhere between 1,001 to 6,001 jurors for large important cases. Okay? It was not unanimous jury vote. It was, again, majority. Majority. Okay? So the ideas of juries that big and a process... I mean, do you understand what kind of involvement it would have to have a 200-member jury? Okay. What you see there, who's involved in it? Everybody. And if you've got a big case, say you're Michael Jackson, you've got 6,001 jurors, so everybody knows. If you're 60 years of age, you're already involved. You've already had to deal with some cases. Okay, so now you have some idea that <clears throat> everybody got involved. If you were over 30 years of age, okay, you were eligible for jury duty. You had to be over 30. We might get some wisdom from that. But anyway, so what I wanted you to understand about this is that law was a big deal. I mean, it was a huge deal. And almost everybody was a lawyer. Everybody knew how the system worked. Everybody knew the ins and the outs and the do's and the don'ts. Okay? Maybe directly or maybe indirectly. It was a part of life. It was normal life. Okay? Look in our lives today. In view of our lives today, how much legal process is going on around you? Everywhere. Everywhere, somebody's being sued, somebody's in court, some trial is happening, something is going on. Okay? Corinthians are a new creatures. They're new creations. Old things have passed away. New things are there. Old ways are gone. New things are happening, right? What were they trying to do? Blend the old and the new. Why? Why would you bring immorality into the church? It was the norm. Please. You can know a, a, a culture by its language. Did you know that? They had 26 words dealing with sexual immorality. What do you think would be a focus of the culture? Okay? So, you see what I'm saying? I mean, people say, I can't believe they've got that immorality. They just brought their culture in. Let me tell you something. Some of you have brought your culture in. 
Some of you have brought your society into the body of Christ and it's causing you problems. All right? You drag this stuff into church. Okay? An attitude of immorality, perhaps. I grew up um, in the 60s and the 70s. All right? I know what my attitude is. It was. And understanding that and knowing at what point in my life I got saved, I, those, my biggest battles were, listen, I'll tell you what, my biggest battles weren't with the big sins. I was raised to be proud to be an American. Weren't you right? Well, some of you weren't. I was. My generation was proud of what we were doing. Our generation was proud of our country and proud of the accomplishments of this country. You know what? That's just a sin. Because, see, you can take pride in what aspect of your life does pride show up in? Put it this way. What aspect doesn't it show up in? Okay, you think you know, you think you have wisdom, you think you have talents, you think you have abilities, and God, you study His Word, and He says, you haven't got anything. And you say, well, but, no, you got nothing. But it's stuff like that that we bring in, and, and you bring your lifestyle in at, the, at your conversion. You who were saved young in life, let me tell you something. What you do in life... Is being, you are impacted, you are beaten with the influences of your society daily. Absolutely daily. It just hammers and hammers and hammers and hammers you. And guess what? It slowly but surely molds you into what it wants. Okay? Let me ask you a question. Anybody here get stressed over the Christmas holidays? Why? Why is you say too busy? Why is it too busy? Ask yourself a question. Why do you have this time and it is too busy? Because your society says, I have to be at Uncle Bob's. I've got to chase this present here. I've got to make sure I mail this thing to this person. I've got to get this. You know, I watched those people on the day after Christmas. They had all the newscasts. They all been peoples at malls. And I thought, how crazy. I mean, if you like that many people, I can understand that. But most of those people don't even like you being there. So why would I put myself into that? Okay? It's stuff like that that I don't understand. Why do we make it so hectic? I ask people, how is your life? It's hectic. Why? We're in the information age, brothers and sisters. We have extra time because of the technology that we have simplifies our lives, doesn't it? That's what I'm always told. You get one of these, your life will be what? See what I'm saying? Your society molds you whether you like it or not. And the thing is, if you try to buck against it, it will literally leave knots on your head. And I try to get people to understand that. So when you look at the church in Corinth, it's easy to sit there and go, I just don't understand them people. All right? I'll tell you to go look in the mirror and say, by your life, what is important? Frantic? Hectic? The demands of everybody else. So you bring this stuff in. All right, we have these old patterns into the body. All right, and all they do is corrupt. All right, the principle the Apostle Paul will lay out here in these first 11 verses is simple it is a sin for a Christian to sue another Christian. Okay, that's as practical as it gets. That's the message. We're done. <laughs> Just kidding. Okay. Here's the reason that they fall into it. Three misunderstandings. One, the position of the church. Two, the attitude of the Christian. Three, our relationship to the world. And I guarantee you, every one of us in this room right now have one, two, or three of these that is affecting us. I guarantee it. All right? And I'm just going to get into the first one here, all right? Misunderstanding the position of the church. 
Verse 1. Does any one of you, does any one of you, when he has a case, that's New American Standard Translation. Um, it literally has a matter. Okay? Do you have a matter against his neighbor? All right? The word neighbor is not in the text. Okay? It should be translated another. All right? Dare to go to law before the unrighteous. Some of you may say the unjust. And I'll deal with that in a moment. Because this is a verb preposition noun structure. All right? It literally has having a matter against another. Okay? And Paul basically saying, how dare you? You have a legal matter against another. Okay? And you go before the... If you have a King James translation, it say unjust. Uh, some <coughs> translations say different things. It literally means unrighteous. Okay? An unrighteous person is what? A lost person. Somebody who isn't saved. All right? You have a lawsuit, a court action against a Christian is the, is the problem here. Paul is shocked by this. Paul is shocked by this. Why? Well, he's Jewish. I mean, to start with, Jew, Paul said, you know what? The Bible has the answers for every problem. Oh, okay. All right? He's also Jewish. Or he's also a believer, a Christian, and he couldn't imagine a brother suing a brother for anything. All right? Why? The Christian community is noted for its love and forgiveness. If I love somebody, why would I take you to court? For greed. To defraud, to rob you. That's the only reason. And how much love am I showing you doing that? So the Apostle Paul says, I don't understand this. This this flat out just doesn't make any sense to me at all. Okay, the term there, if you see unrighteous or unjust, uh, he's not describing the moral character of the judges. All right, saying that, you know, if you go into a public court, all of the judges are unjust or or immorally corrupt. Uh, That's not what he's saying. He's basically saying um, they're not saved. They're not saved. Um, some non-Christians' judges may be better <laughs> than some Christians that I've run into. Um, <clears throat> but the terms that he's using is speaking of one is justified is a saint, unjust is an ain't. Okay, so you've got two people in the world, the saints and the ain'ts. All right, you've got the holy and the unholy. All right, the ones who know the Word of God are saved. They are justified. Therefore, if I know the Word of God, guess what else I know? God's principles. All right? We are the ones, the saints are the ones who possess the Spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit. And we can allow the Holy Spirit to lead in our decisions. Okay? The unjust, they don't have those abilities. They don't have any way of knowing that. All right? So why would I take a matter to unjust to an unrighteous person who has never met Christ and why would I not take it to the saints the holy ones who know Christ that's what the I mean that's the essence of the question he says I can't believe you're doing this this is It defies logic. It defies understanding. Why? Verse 2. Do you not know? Do you not know the saints, the holy ones, will judge the world? He literally steps into a bunch of rhetorical questions if you really want to look at the text. But he says, don't you understand that you will set on the highest supreme court ever and only judge the world? That's the only place you're going to sit. You are going to sit in the supreme court of all time and you're not capable of settling a local problem in the assembly? All that is, is that they don't realize who they are for all intents and purposes. Um, 
In the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 21, he who overcomes, what will happen? I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down where? With my father where? On his throne. So if you sit on Jesus' throne, who else's throne are you sitting on? Okay, he who overcomes sits where? Why doesn't that excite anybody? I mean, I, you, I don't want to sit with God's chair. I read that and say, it got to be a mistranslation. So I go back to my little Greek goofy book and says the same thing. He says, you who overcome, you who are now righteous in the eyes of the Lord God, will sit on my throne. Got that? So what matter here on earth can you not handle? Okay? It's like a a co-regent. I'm going to be a co-regent. Doing what? Reigning? Where? Over earth. Just earth. That's all. Oh, I forgot. The true word means existence. So, you know, I can tell Saturn, shut up. You're making too much noise. Put your rings away. Got it? If you drop that understanding, then you're going to go to court. I don't understand that. Let me give you a little more insight into this. Uh, One of my favorite books. Daniel, chapter 7. Context is verse 18. But the holy ones of the highest ones will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all the ages to come. Okay? Then I desire to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast and da 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 and all that other stuff. And then in verse 22, he makes this statement. Now, you need to understand what this text is. This is not the reestablishment of the nation of Israel. Okay, this is not the messianic incarnation that you and I will celebrate his birth in a few days. Okay, this is the final appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called this the Ancient of Days. Uh, The Ancient of Days is a phenomenal term in the Hebrew, and it means one who's always been. Okay? Until the Ancient of Days came, and what happens? And judgment was what? Passed in favor. It was given for. Okay? For who? Judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Clear? Okay. Now, I'm going to give you a qualifier here because in Matthew 19 and Luke 22, there are some other rulers. They get 12 thrones. For what purpose? Ruling the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, and who would those people be? The apostles. Okay, so you have 12 apostles ruling the 12 tribes of Israel, and then you have the saints of the Holy One at the second coming, which would be pointing toward the Gentiles, and we will take possession of what? rest of the world. Okay, uh, back to the book of Revelations. Chapter 2. Verse 26 and 27. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give. Mm. I will give authority to who? Okay, the word nations there is the word you get ethnics from. Ethos. Okay, all peoples. To whom? He who overcomes keeps my deeds. Verse 27, and he will what? Okay, who is he there? 
he that overcomes. We'll rule with a rod of iron. As vessels of potter are broken into pieces, as I also have received authority from my Father. Got that? So the Apostle Paul says, you're going to have oversight. You'll have authority. You'll have rule over the world. That's your ability. That's your position. Do you, do you understand that that exists now? You now have it? You have insight from he who spoke existence into being. If you use it. Someday we are going to flat out rule with Christ over everything. Listen, if that ability is there, should we be able to handle a local matter? Okay? Let's look at verse 3 of Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that we will judge angels? Hmm. Interesting, huh? You guys, are you asleep? You guys, you ate turkey this morning for breakfast, and you're all sitting around. What is that chemical thing? Yeah, tryptophan. You're all on a tryptophan buzz. Yeah, man, we're going to rule the world in angels. Cool. Can I get a nap? I, I don't understand. I know it's a little warm in here. I've got a jacket and a long sleeve shirt on. It's killing me. But I'm going to rule the world in angels. Angels. Okay, what are angels? Well, it's just the highest class of created beings. Okay, uh, I'll give you some insight there. Uh, we're going to judge angels. Okay, if I look at the Old Testament and I try to kind of keep that in the framework of what I'm doing, I always say, okay, what does it mean to judge? Well, rule. Okay, rule, judge. Same thing. Uh, you read the book of Judges? Okay. We all have it in our mind that these guys were judges. Nope. They ruled. You've got to understand that. And, you know, well, it says that Deborah, I don't care what it says. I'm telling you that in the book of Judges, those people ruled the people. Okay. Samson was a judge. All right. So when you keep these in mind, ask yourself a question. I'm judging, I'm ruling. I'm going to judge and rule over the world. I am going to judge and rule over angels. Um, who are these angels? Well, it's kind of depressing because in your text there, the definite article isn't there. Okay, so it's qualitative. It means them as beings. The angelic beings. All right. Um, we will be put above the angelic beings. All right. Now, if I look at the angelic host, they're like men. You have the saints and the ain'ts. In the angelic beings, you have the holy and the unholy. All right. So my question in this, there's no definite article. Am I going to rule? Am I judging fallen angels or holy angels? So I got the really smart people, the guys like Linsky and Calvin and MacArthur and Zodiades and all these other people, and I came up with this conclusion. Well, I'll tell you what they said. Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and Jude 6 says that the fallen angels will be judged. Great. Um, are we going to be a part of that judge? Well, if you break the names down I give you, you got 50-50 split. 50% said we are a part of Christ and we will be with Christ and we will be there when he judges the fallen angels. Okay? The other 50% says, no, those are Christ-created beings. They offended against him, and therefore we will be over the good angels. Okay? Um, we will only be in the presence of holiness, so we'll only be doing the holy angels. We'll have rule over that, understanding Israel to judge to rule, same thing. So we'll have dominion over the holy angels. Um, 
Someday we'll be in a position to rule over the heavenly angels. Their submission to us will be absolutely voluntary because that's the reason they're still holy angels. Okay? Now then, what is my take on it? I think it's both. <laughs> Sound like a Democrat, don't I? I, I have authority over angels. I have authority over the world. I just keep it simple. I'm not going to worry about whether it's the holy or the unholy or, you know, they will be submitted to me. I don't understand that. I I can't comprehend that. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand what the implications of the holy angels being subjected to me are. I don't understand that implications. Okay? And if you think you do, <laughs> we were studying this morning in our Sunday school class about fools. But uh, I don't know what that is. Okay? Because I got another one I can stick in the side of that one. Okay? And this is just for future reference. Okay? Whether it comes to the angelic host. All right? I, I've never seen an angel. Okay? I've read about them. I don't know that anything I've ever seen was an act of an angel. Okay? So I don't know what it means. But here's something that I want you to keep in mind. The 13th chapter of this book, there's a statement that is made. And I'm praying that the Lord Jesus Christ will return before I have to teach the text. Okay? Uh, Charles Spurgeon used to make a statement when a, a, a text was rich, in truth, that it was pregnant with truth. Okay? I don't have a term to describe this verse. Okay? You shall know as you are known. Okay? I knit you in your mother's womb. Your days have breed predetermined to me. I know when you will leave. I know the hairs of your head. I know the words that come from your mouth before you speak them. I know how many heartbeats you've got. I know what it will will take your life. And someday you shall know as you are known. All right, so when it comes to judging angels, I will fall back to someday I will know as I am known. (laughs) And at this point, I don't know. But the Apostle Paul says, how dare you take a matter between two saints to the unrighteous? Have you forgotten that you will only judge the world and angels? If we can judge the world someday... And what we have right now in the power of the Spirit of God and in the knowledge of His Word, we can handle any matter that shows up. If we can judge an angel, then we should be able to settle our own matters down here. Now, I would have to agree that right at just this point, Paul has made a fairly good argument. Wouldn't you say? Amen? So let me ask you a question. If you have another matter, if you have a matter against a brother or a sister today, how would you resolve it? You can either be as the Corinthian church and be divisive, or... Have the holy ones join together and we resolve it. Very appropriate text for the society we're in. I was reading uh, Stephen Olford's book on this. Contemporary message for an American society. You know what's a study of? First Corinthians. Contemporary message for an American society. Hmm. Interesting. Good argument, Mr. Paul. Good argument. My question to you. Will you bow before the word of God? 
or will you do it on the wisdom and philosophy of the society in which you live? Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word, Lord, for my brother Paul. Father, I can't understand the ruling of the nations. Father, I can't understand the ruling of angels. And yet, Father, those who overcome, those who are your people, that privilege awaits us. Father, let us bow to your work now that you ask us to. Father, let us embrace that that is eternal now. Father, let us shed the shackles that this world deems important and grasp and hold dearly to that which is yours. Father, we love you. But Father, I ask that our love for you will grow with every breath you grace us. And that, Father, we bow our knee before you. And Father, as our brother Isaiah said, here we are, send us. And that, Father, we would impact your kingdom be about your work until that day our faith becomes sight or until that day we know as we are known. Thank you, my King. Thank you. To your praise, to your glory, to your exaltation, and yours alone. In Christ's name, amen.